It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of crimes of the future. I can feel you pulling things around in there. It's a brand new organ. Never before seen. We've all felt that the body was empty. Empty of meaning. And we've wanted to confirm that so that we could fill it with meaning. The world is a much more dangerous place now that pain has all but disappeared. Surgery is sex, isn't it? Is it? Be afraid to map the chaos inside. Let us create a map that will guide us into the heart of darkness. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Crimes of the Future, and the story is as follows. As the human species adapts to a synthetic environment, the body undergoes new transformations and mutations. Accompanied by his partner, celebrity performance artist Saul Tesner, showcases the metamorphosis of his organs. Meanwhile, a mysterious group tries to use Saul's notoriety to shed light on the next phase of human evolution. The film is starring Viggo Mortensen, Leia Seydoux. Kristen Stewart and Scott Speedman. It is written and directed by David Cronenberg. And here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Amy Smith. Hi, everyone. And Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And before we get started here, happy birthday to Amy. Yay. Thank you very much. I wouldn't want to spend any other time than talking about body horror. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's dive into the human body, shall we? Let's dive into the work of David Cronenberg and let's dive into this movie. I believe this is actually the first David Cronenberg film that we've ever reviewed on the Next Best Picture podcast, if I'm not mistaken. And he is a filmmaker who has really cultivated a distinct filmography. He is known as the master of body horror. And this is his first feature length film after an eight-year-long uh, stretch since his last feature. I mean, I, I got to tell you all, I legitimately thought that he was done for a bit here. I didn't know if he was necessarily going to come back. And now that he has 
it was cause to rejoice. Whether the movie was good, bad, mixed, and different didn't really matter. It was just really exciting to know that David Cronenberg was coming back with a film that was within the genre that he helped to popularize. And this movie premiered at the Cannes Film Festival, where, Amy, that's where you saw it. I saw it, <laughs> not the showboat, I actually saw it a little bit before that, actually, but uh, <laughs> we, we both reacted to it around the same time, and then I know, Josh, you saw it a couple of days later. It is now playing in theaters from Neon right now. And as expected for a David Cronenberg film in 2022, the reaction is mixed, but most of his movies have kind of met this reception over the years and they've been reevaluated over time. I do think that he's a very smart filmmaker and he has a lot of ideas to explore. The question is, how does he explore them and how well is it executed? So let's dive into that here with this film. Amy, we'll start off with you since you saw it at the world premiere at the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, ultimately, what did you think of Crimes of the Future? And what is like your take on David Cronenberg as a filmmaker in general? Yeah, so I did see this at the Cannes Film Festival. And the important thing to note here is how they went into this festival buzzing that there would be walkouts, this would be disgusting, this would reach Titan levels. And I think that does a disservice to this film because I personally did not find this film to be that gross more than it is fascinating with the world building. Um, I wasn't at the gala screening, I was at the press screening and I can say there was not that many walkouts as far as I could tell. And aside from maybe one or two moments, maybe the start, not the start isn't gross, it's more shocking than anything else. I didn't find this film to be disgusting. It didn't leave me shocked. And I think if people go into that expectation, they might come out a bit disappointed. Um, the best part of this film, by far and away, is the world building that we get set up and this sort of idea that these humans don't feel pain at all. So they can have like surgeries and modify their bodies in any way that they like. And they put on shows to like showcase what they can do. And that's all really fascinating. And yet this narrative feels somewhat empty. And I think that is particularly true of the final act. I expected there to be a lot more meat on the bones with this story. And then as soon as I thought we were getting somewhere, the film ends. There's no real third act to this film, which I found really disappointing. Um, performances overall are really good, particularly Vigo and Leia. Um, some of the others are more iffy about, but we'll discuss that later on. I think if you're going into this as a David Cronenberg fan, you'll find a lot to enjoy. But overall, I would still say a good film, but I, I felt like it was missing something. Yeah, I'm not really sure what. Yeah, yeah. Similar sentiments in a lot of ways here, for sure. Uh, we'll definitely get into uh, more of that in a little bit here. Josh, what about you? Same questions. Thoughts on Cronenberg and thoughts on Crimes of the Future? Yeah, Cronenberg has been a filmmaker that I have had so much respect and admiration for, even though I don't think he has a perfect filmography. In fact, I think a lot of his movies can be very flawed, but there is really something very distinct about his voice that keeps me coming back to him. And his highs, I think, are actually like pretty high, like History of Violence, The Fly, Dead Ringers. You know, those are movies that I really, really do like. And even the ones that aren't as successful, I still find so captivating. And yeah, a new movie for the first time in eight years is a big event that I really feel like I got to experience. And I was very much looking forward to Crimes of the Future 
uh, even went into this movie not knowing like anything about it. I remember seeing the first teaser, but no other information. I had pretty much no idea what this movie was actually about. And I think I walked out of it with very similar sentiments to Amy, which is having so much appreciation for this world that's being created and a lot of the ideas that are being explored. But there is kind of something that does feel a little surface level here. And it feels like we are not really digging as deep into the bigger nuances of this world. And I I feel like there is a little bit untapped here. And yeah, the, the resolution to the story, I feel, is very abrupt, like to the point where it's like, wow, this movie just sort of ended. And really at the point where it seemed like it was starting to dig in even deeper to a lot of the thematic commentary it was going for. So I do like this movie. I think overall I am leaning positive, but there is something that kept me at a distance from the narrative that was a bit frustrating. But I also think maybe that will be explored more if I watch it again. Maybe that will give me an opportunity to dig it or pick it apart more. But as is on this first viewing, I did feel a little underwhelmed by the storytelling, even though there are a lot of elements in here that I did like in the end. So for me, David Cronenberg is a filmmaker that, yes, I'm fascinated by as well, but he's not one of my favorites, mostly because of what you said there, Josh, in terms of there being like a bit of an imperfect filmography. I'm still always very transfixed by what he's doing. And there are some movies of his that really are uh, favorites of mine, like The Fly or A History of Violence, which is actually my favorite film of that year. Uh, So I was very excited for this because on paper, This really seemed like a return back to his roots. And I was wondering if it had something to do with the fact that this does share the same title as his 1970 film, also called Crimes of the Future. But in reality, those two movies only share the title and nothing more. He wrote this script back in the late 90s and it sat on the shelf all this time. And in a lot of ways, it does feel like a movie that... uh, Maybe for 2022, it speaks more to our times now, but at the same time, its execution, its structure, the way that it is written does feel of another era. So, like, I kind of appreciated that this movie just felt like in many ways a throwback while having a lot of issues and themes in it that uh, spoke to a modern audience today, particularly as it comes to things like technology, the environment and sex and how all this is really interconnected through the human body, especially through evolution. I mean, there was just a lot of heady ideas here. So like Amy said before, the world building, I was so into this movie in its first act. It opens up with this like shocking uh, murder, as uh, Amy was mentioning before. And right away, I too immediately said, okay, the expectation that we're going to like faint or vomit or there's going to be walkouts within the first five minutes. That was oversold. And I get it. I understand, you know, you want to say stuff like that to put butts in the seats. But I do think it actually did this movie a disservice because I think people went into it expecting one thing when there is actually a lot more to probe and absorb with it. Um, But that's not what people are ultimately taking away. I feel like when they walk out, I feel like the expectation is set and the movie's not necessarily meeting it. It does have other flaws, as you mentioned before, Josh. I agree with both you and Amy that the ending is extremely anticlimactic. Uh, But for the most part, while watching this, I had a deep appreciation for the world building, the characters, the technology. 
I legitimately felt like this could have been maybe in a few years time taken uh, and maybe even expanded upon in like a graphic novel or a miniseries because that's how richly layered the not too distant future Cronenberg has conjured up here. Yeah, I mean, and that's always, I think, something that's really fascinating with Cronenberg is that he is somebody that does take on stories that have a lot of richness to them. And it's just in the execution sometimes where it can get kind of bumpy. But there are so many like fascinating ideas at the center of this film. And I I do feel like we just don't get the proper enough time to really go into them or it just goes not too far beneath the the surface on them. And that was a source of from uh, some frustration for me, even though I did feel compelled to keep going throughout most of this movie because I do yeah. think a lot of the ideas are, are fascinating. This movie's 107 minutes long. And for me, it could have had another 15 or 20 minutes and I would have been perfectly okay with it. Like if this yeah. movie wrapped up in a more satisfying manner, this would maybe be top five Cronenberg for me. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. So, you know, in in terms of things that I really liked about this movie, um, I've already mentioned the world building. You know, it doesn't have necessarily a look from a production design standpoint that screams, oh, my gosh, this is an expensive sci-fi film. But there is like this almost, I don't want to say post-apocalyptic, but almost like just this dark, run-down feeling to the world that everyone inhabits. It also feels extremely stripped down and minimalist in its production design, uh, which is something that I really, really appreciated because it does feel both of this world and also it feels like the world has been uh, just completely degraded and really beaten down and worn out. Uh, so it does feel like it is maybe a few decades into the future, but not necessarily too far away. Carol Spire, production designer, she's great. Yeah, I mean, that um, the machine that Saul puts himself in for these performance artist acts uh, where he uh, has... Caprice, uh, his partner, uh, basically perform like these very complex surgeries on him for a live audience where they're like ripping open his body and taking out his organs and stuff like that machine. There's so much thought that's put into it and not all of it is necessarily explained. You really just get the explanation by seeing it do its job um, rather than the characters, you know, explaining it because these are characters who are very familiar with the technology, even though the audience isn't. And the same goes for um, Viggo Mortensen's um, like that that eating chair that he needs in order to like digest food and liquids. Uh, I, I've loved every single bit of these pieces of technology in this world. Yeah, I really truly felt like they were living in it, especially when they bring what like some engineers because something's broken down. If he's feeling pain when he's sleeping, and it's like okay, there's actually it doesn't just feel like everything's just automatically there. It feels like they've lived it. There's lore behind it. There's reason behind everything that they're doing. And I think that just fleshes it out even more. It doesn't have to be a visual spectacle, which in all honesty, it still is. I kind of like that. It, it almost feels a little more intimate because we get to really know these pieces rather than just being part of the background. And you mentioned pain there, Amy, for a second. That's, I think, 
probably the one aspect of the script from a character standpoint that I appreciated the most, which is that in this world, human uh, evolution has gotten to a point where uh, we don't feel pain anymore. We don't get infections anymore. And I loved that this movie really delved deep psychologically into how each of these characters are dealing with that concept and how when there is no pain, we can do pretty much anything we want to the human body, essentially. Uh, Obviously, it could still kill you, but you don't feel anything from it. And I also kind of felt like when you lack physical presence uh, or physical uh, contact or anything like that, like in the real world, what does that do to you internally in terms of your feelings of emotion and your connectivity to another person or to the world around you? And that was something that the movie doesn't like dive deep. It just simply presents the idea to the audience and it asks you to go into it more. And I like, I love that the movie set up work for the audience to do. It didn't like, it doesn't make you work hard. I don't think, but it gives you that opportunity to do so. And I really just appreciated Cronenberg's respect for his audience in that regard. It's not even just pain, but also a way that they explore pleasure and sex and how the line surgery is the new sex. And especially since from a filmmaking standpoint, we've all had this discussion, are sex scenes necessary? It's like showing this in sort of a new way of how to please the body. And in this world, it's through surgery and customizing yourself in any way we can. We see that the caprice later on changing the way that she looks for the sake of her own pleasure. It's such a fascinating way to sort of explore the human body and how we sort of evolve along the way. Well, because you think about like how some people are turned on by actual pain, by like BDSM and things like that, like in their sex lives, uh, something where they, you know, exhibit pleasure from pain. And I really loved that exploration as well, where what does that mean for these characters that don't feel pain? And then you get like these bizarre instances like sucking on somebody's zipper for a wound on their tummy (laughs) you know part of the course yeah (laughs) exactly as you do (laughs) and so there's there's so much to explore here with this and so much to talk about i feel like we could spend a lot of time really diving into what cronenberg has created here you know the fact that like some of the performance art that was another part of it too that i just started asking all these questions and I started like diving deeper into, okay, so he's exploring these performance artists. Like these could have been anybody. These could have been doctors. They could have been scientists. They could have been average everyday people, but no, he chose performance artists. And then I started thinking about museums and like the body exhibit, like in in New York and things like that, that I've seen before where we have this like fascination with the human body and whether it's also like a performance art, like watching uh, a dance, uh, you know, whether it's on the street or actually like on a stage or something like that, there is this fascination about the human body that we have as individuals. And to take that and explore that in a way that can be twisted as gruesome, you know, like as, as I mentioned before, Amy, like this isn't necessarily like a gory film to the point that it would I mean, it is gory, but it isn't like so over the top that like as as people were touting it as. Uh, but that could definitely lose people, I feel like, in this. But it's not. It's presented more artistically in a way that there's beauty to be found in the horror. Which is Cronenberg. You know, that, exactly. That's his, that's his M.O. And yeah, it, it was interesting that it is artists that are at the center of the story, which immediately got me thinking about 
sort of other metaphors that were going on. And what it conjured up to me is this notion of kind of somebody who is trying really hard to like twist his body in a way to produce this very singular piece of artwork to display to the world. And I think it's very easy to kind of make that connection to maybe somebody like Cronenberg himself, who tries extremely hard to make unique uh, pieces of artwork to present to people in an environment that's like constantly changing and it's even more difficult to do it over and over again. And it kind of even felt like very underlined that particular reading for me when we get to the guy with all the ears, because that almost was like, is this the CGI spectacle that Cronenberg is raging against? Like it's all uh, aesthetics and nothing deeper to it. And that's what he's railing against. So I think there's even like that kind of a commentary running through this movie about artists and storytellers, like, nearly like killing themselves to produce a very singular piece of work in a world that is always not going to be that receptive to it. And that's the thing too about the not receptive to it part is that, you know, Cronenberg clearly understands that art is subjective and there have been a lot of people who have been turned off by his work. Like I think about how much like crash was misunderstood upon its release and then it's been reevaluated over time And I do think that there is a way that even if it's grotesque and even if it is uh, disgusting at times and the way that, you know, it's presented to you initially speaking, if you just take a step back and you observe what actually is the commentary and what is the artist's intent here, you can find uh, meaning. And I do think that this movie exemplifies that, that you can find meaning in almost anything, if not everything, as long as you call it art. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think it's also about looking on the inside out because you see the main storyline and where it's going through. Uh, the father of the son, who we're going to obviously talk about later on, is really wanting everyone to see the inside of his son and to see he's not that bad of a person. He's not that bad. You don't judge people from the outside and how unique they are. And then obviously the end happens and it's not what he expects. But it's the sort of thing like we're all unique, all to a point where uh, Salt Tanser is literally growing body parts inside of him and putting them up for show and I think it's a good way of showing don't just judge someone just from the outside and don't judge a film just based on what it sort of looks like yeah yeah and you know you're mentioning here about the the the, uh, the boy Brecken and his father played by Scott Speeman in this I found this plot line to be once again very interesting kind of like my overall takeaway from crimes of the future is that i was so sucked in in its first act it started to lose me in its second act and then it pulled me back in, in it, into its third act and then i thought we were gonna get an ending that would wrap it up all together and instead it didn't uh, and it, it was kind of anticlimactic and i wish there was more so that's like kind of like my journey of watching the movie and a lot of that I do think has to do with the resolution of the storyline between uh, the boy Brecken and his father, uh, Lang, played by Scott Speedman here, because there is a conspiracy that is that is revealed regarding Scott Speedman's character, and it opens up Pandora's box to a whole other litany of questions, morally, ethically, and also to within this world, how it's all going to work in regards to the government and Oh, there's just a lot. It's almost too it's it's too much because the movie can't contain it all. That by the time we get to the third act, I do like the buildup of suspense that they are um, 
getting to with this autopsy of this boy and not knowing exactly what is going to be found within him. And I do like the emotional emphasis on the father and what this is meaning for him and his relationship with his son, why his son is dead in the first place, and the cathartic resolution that hopefully this will give him. I was really into all of that. And even the autopsy and the reveal itself, super into it, loved it. And then it was like after that scene, it was like once that was all revealed, it was like how they did away with the resolution, uh, how they how they handled the the ending to the Speedman character. Uh, just it felt like to me like it came out of nowhere because it yeah, kind of did come out of nowhere. Yeah, <laughs> like, like like they were trying to go for shock value, but instead it didn't feel like it was carefully built up that it, like it just didn't feel earned. Yeah, that storyline also felt. Not that it was separate from what was also going on, but it did introduce like a whole other element in which to read this movie. And I think a lot of that you could feel, you know, sort of the changing, you know, just our real world environment, you know, the whole eating plastic thing. I remember there was a story a couple like weeks ago about, no, you know, you're eating like a credit cards worth of plastic every day. (laughs) I remember that being in the news. So Hmm. I, I feel like that's another commentary about how we're treating our own real life environment and how that's affecting us and how that will affect future generations. And again, very fascinating, but it does feel slightly underdeveloped for me. And when we do get to the resolution, it is rather blunt. And I felt like that was a moment in this story where we really could have had more details on and it, it felt very underdeveloped to me. I, I don't know. Maybe somebody else got more out of it, but I wanted more out of the that storyline for me. No, that's the element to the movie where I was like, this should have been a, mi- a miniseries because it feels like there's a whole subplot here where we would follow this character from his perspective more and explore more of his goals and what this organization that he's a part of, what they're attempting to achieve and you don't really get the full scope of that. I don't. At least I don't feel like. I do think that the exploration of Salt uh, Tenzer and uh, Caprice, played by Leia Seydoux, I I do think the movie does a sufficient enough job of exploring those two characters, and I think they give the best performances in the movie. But I I do agree, Josh, that everything that opened up, especially also too with this. Uh, d- this detective, uh, what, what was he part of? They called it Vice, right? Yeah. Yeah, like everything also dealing with that and his conversations with Saul and how Saul is all kind of connected and a part of all of this, it, it just felt too big for the movie to contain. And like I said, at 107 minutes, it, it's all great, conceptually speaking, but... I don't know. I, I, I'm starting to wonder even if 15 minutes would have cut it. You know, I, I wonder if they just needed more in general. I think they just tried to blend too many genres in one. I was really fascinated by the sci-fi fantasy. But when it came to more like the detective story, I was like, no, that's not why I'm here. I just want to see this world explored. I want to see these shows. I want to see how far we can stretch this idea. The detective story is fine enough, but uh, as you said, Matt, make it a miniseries, build up the tension that way, episode by episode. I think that would have worked more effectively than trying to cram it into a less than two hour film. Yeah. And like I said before, there is a part of me that wonders if maybe years from now this could be adapted into a miniseries, because I do feel like the world is rich enough that 
they have enough material there to mine and explore. But I don't know. I don't, I don't know if Cronenberg is interested in such a thing. Mm. Yeah, and the detective stuff, I, what I appreciated about it was that it was something to help elevate the world building once again, that there is this unit specifically designed to like hunt down these body parts and investigate these sort of weird things that are happening. Like I liked that element within the story because it really helped give further like texture to this world, but it was something that did kind of interrupt the flow of it. And whenever we returned to it, it just didn't feel like we were doing so naturally. It was almost like a point of exposition to just drop. And I didn't feel like it was woven into the story the overall story in a natural way and that was sort of frustrating even though i appreciated its inclusion and what it was doing for the world building but i didn't feel like it was inserted gracefully and that was always kind of as i said a rather frustrating experience whenever we went we went back to that story i was also a little confused too as to what vigo mortensen's role was in it initially and I, I want to just say this as like a kind of a jumping off point to say that I think this is one of Viggo Mortensen's more fascinating performances because he's coughing, he's grunting, he's in so much, not so much like pain, but just like discomfort uh, because his body is changing on the inside. And I think he does a really good job of conveying that to the audience here, but... <laughs> Man, Vico just has a way of mumbling and whispering sometimes <laughs> in his performances where I, I'm like, dude, I, I need subtitles to understand what you're saying sometimes. And I feel like I got lost, especially in those scenes in particular where I'm like, wait, what is his connection to this guy? What is his role to play in all of this? I, I, I was lost. I, I, did you guys feel the same? Well, at Cannes, we did have subtitles, so ah. I, I didn't have that issue. Yeah, they had French and English subtitles for every film. That's helpful. Yeah, I'm very glad we had that for a bunch of films, especially this one. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> yeah, Vigo... He also was like, was he doing an accent? I couldn't tell. <laughs> he, he had kind of a weird voice, too. It, it, it definitely felt like one of his more, like, peculiar performances that is not too far off the deep, but there's, like, just enough oddities to it to make him seem, like, not 
completely a normal person, but he does have such a natural screen presence whenever he's on screen. And I, I am drawn to this character, but it, it is it is weird, I have to say it, and not in a way that I think is always successful. Yeah, and that's why I said it. I don't think it's like one of his best performances, but it's definitely like one of his most distinctive. And I appreciate that it felt like it was something different from him. And that's like one of the cool things about his collaboration with Cronenberg is that none of his four performances in any of his movies with him feel the same. Yes, that is true. Now, with that said, I, I do want to know if we are aligned on this or not. But guys, you know, I love her. She was my favorite performance of last year. I really thought that Kristen Stewart was completely, completely over the top in this. And I did not feel like what she was doing was fitting in with the tone of the rest of the movie. Her performance actually got some unintentional laughs from my audience. And I say unintentional because people have been arguing that there's an element to her performance where it might be intentional. But to me, this didn't feel like the actress that I've seen over the last couple of years uh, develop into one of the best of her you know, generation. This felt like a performance from earlier on in her career uh, that just reminded me of some of the worst tendencies that she tends to, tends to have. So it, it did not work for me personally. I don't want to put the full blame on Kristen Stewart for that. I think just her character, I really didn't like. I found the all the lines to be quite annoying I didn't see what the real purpose was except for like being a sort of fangirl to Saul Tenser I I don't want to put it all on Kristen Stewart I just don't think the character had enough development like this was a a, a top billing role and it really didn't feel like it should have been I just think the entire I think the whole character of Tim and even Whippet just felt underdeveloped yeah the character I wasn't like super invested in, to be honest, but I do think her performance is another like kind of fascinating thing. And I I don't think that I would say like I'm a super fan of it, but it's making choices. <laughs> I think you could definitely say that. It, I, I do feel like it is supposed to be an intentionally mannered portrayal of somebody. And Oh, no, no. I understand that she's supposed to be like obsessive with him. I totally get that. But. I just felt like she overdid it in some of those scenes to the point where it was like overbearingly creepy to the point where it's like this girl is crazy. Ha ha ha. Nervous laughter, you know? Yeah, like I I would not put it up there as one of her better performances for sure. But I, I have to admit that I do respect it a little bit, and especially in a movie where we don't really have a lot of performances like doing that, despite this world being so strange to begin with that. I don't know. I, I almost found it charming that there was one person who was like there to remind me that, oh, yeah, this is a strange fucking world that we're in right now. People should maybe be acting a little bit more strangely. So I, I do still respect the choices. They don't always work, but it's still captivating to me. I think Leia Sidhu actually probably gives the best performance in the movie. Overall. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, too. I really loved the way that they fleshed out her connection with Saul because on one level it's presented as this uh, platonic partnership that the two of them have but then obviously as the story goes on we realize that they are actually romantically linked but just not in the way that our current society would link to people and it's obviously brought about by 
um, the changing of the world around them and also to the, the internal changes that uh, Saul is experiencing that's unique to him uh, that Caprice also connects with, uh, even though she's not going through the same changes. Yeah. Like there's that scene where they're laying in the um, uh, the pod. What's it called? The, or- the orchid bed, I think it's called. I, I think it's called that. Uh, and there's something very beautiful about the way that that scene, even though they're getting horribly uh, disfigured and cut up together, but they're just embracing each other in such a sweet and tender way that that was an element to the movie that I was just not expecting. Yeah. And oh man, she, her performance is really good. Like she kind of strikes the balance of feeling grounded, but also idiosyncratic at the same time. And yeah. she just gets the tone of this movie so perfectly. And yeah, I definitely agree. She's the best performance in the film. I I don't know how much I was on board with Viggo Mortensen having not one, but two love storylines with people that are like 30 years younger than him. I don't know if I was like completely sold on that, but all credit, especially to Leia Sadu for making me believe in this strange relationship even more than I think on the surface I would normally have been invested in. I got to agree with you, Josh, in that regard. Like, I definitely was thinking about the age gap. But at the same time, and I've been thinking about this for a number of years, even dating back to 20 years ago with Lord of the Rings. I cannot believe that Viggo Mortensen is in his 60s. Like, I genuinely cannot believe it. He still, to me, looks like a guy in his 40s. Yeah, he is always older than you think he is. Yep. (laughs) I, I like I don't know how I don't know what elixir he's drinking, <laughs> you know, but uh, anyway, that, that's no excuse for the age gap here. But at the same time, I, I do want to comment in saying that, like, I am very amazed that he just retains his youthfulness as well as he does. Maybe he is, uh, you know, evolving uh, different than the rest of the human race. I don't know. <laughs> but Yeah, may- maybe so. Maybe so. But. But that does mean, like, for me, when the relationship became romantic, that's when I kind of checked out a bit. But when it was just more so about, like, uh, Saul and Caprice just really exploring their love of art together and their kind of thesis about what they wanted to create, all of that was actually way more fascinating to me than their actual love story. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I I still like the love story because I thought it just added another layer to the relationship that I liked. But I do agree that their dialogue together of talking about their performances and what they're ultimately trying to accomplish as artists that that to me was like some of the best dialogue in the movie overall Mm -hmm. Uh, i do have to ask this question of the two of you do you guys think that saul does have the control over whether or not he can uh generate a new organ because some people seem to think that he can he is pretty steadfast in his reply that he cannot and i do like that the movie also brings up the question of well if your body is changing like this and you're producing organs that don't exist that are not part of the regular human anatomy can we even call you human anymore yeah to me it always read like he can but he doesn't think he has control um that's what it sort of felt like to me it was almost like this intuitive process that he was going through that's part of his overall evolution of 
yes, he thinks that these are just being generated sort of randomly and that he's taking advantage of that in these artistic displays, but it is on a longer trajectory of the changing nature of humans in this world. And it sort of feels like that's where the resolution is heading towards, which again, sort of, at least for me, hard to say because it does end so abruptly that we don't explore it as much as I think we can. But it seems like that's a thesis the film is working with. And that's how I read it is he can't control it, but more on like a uh, subconscious level. And he doesn't really fully realize that until closer to the end. Yeah, I think I'm along the same lines as Josh. It's not as if he's like, oh, I'm going to create this specific piece that looks like this at this specific point. It's like just part of it. It's part of the performance art that they don't know exactly what's going to come out of them. They just know it's an organ and he's generated it. And yeah, I agree, Josh. I do think it's the whole idea that he can, but he can't really control it. And he doesn't really realize that he is doing it as such. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think that there is an element of self-doubt there. And I do think that it's one of those things where as his body is evolving, it's something that he's learning to do uh, over time. And, you know, I'm sure obviously beyond the ending point of this movie, he will have probably have fully mastered it. You know, that final moment in particular, I was uh, talking with a friend of mine after we walked out of the screening together, and I actually said, like, the final, final, final moment of this movie is actually, like, supremely cathartic, where I genuinely cared in terms of the character arc and the resolution for Saul, but it was still disappointing to me that on a grander level, in terms of the overall film's plot, uh, that it still left me unfulfilled at the same time. And I also was disappointed that there really was no resolution with the Timlin character played by Kristen Stewart. Um, I guess in a way Caprice is tied to Saul's ending, but I didn't feel like she herself got an ending. So like it, it just left me unfulfilled overall. I don't want to beat a dead horse by going back to the ending and such, but at the same time, I do appreciate that at least one character got full resolution at the end of all of this. And credit to Morton's performance in that final moment, too. I, I think that's what really sells that catharsis is, you know, he has to showcase all this like pain that he's going through. That's another thing about his performance is it. There's so many instances where he has to showcase how like just trauma he's going through with his body and that it's not like really big things that he's doing, but it's enough to really sell you on how difficult he is just sort of living right now. And there is a moment of relief towards the end that you see fully in his performance. And I do give a lot of credit to him for that. I I just wish that that had been applied to more threads of the story and to more characters outside of him, especially when it kind of felt like we were just getting into that exploration and then it just is completely dropped. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, uh, for final thoughts on Crimes of the Future, Amy, we can start off with you for this. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add or reiterate? I do want to see more of this world in the future, whether it's connected to Saul and Caprice, whether it's more to... I would love to see more of the political aspects of this world because it seems like there's a lot to dive in and they really wanted to, but that's the part that gets cut off right at the end. Um, whether it is more about the body, whether it's... I don't know. I'd want a lot more from this world because this is such a fascinating world. And the fact we only spend a hundred minutes in it, I feel is not enough. 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of very interesting questions that can be brought up uh, from this world and themes that are really worth exploring, uh, characters. Uh, This movie legitimately could have been two and a half, three hours long and felt like this giant sci-fi epic. And I feel like we only got a piece of that here. And I would have been perfectly okay with it as long as it still had... Uh, this focus on the characters and it wrapped up its story neatly in the end. Um, as it is, I give a lot of credit where credit is due in that this movie had me hooked in a way that, you know, very, very few films do. And part of that, like one of the reasons that I immediately had my attention on this movie was Howard Shore's score in the beginning, especially yeah. like the opening title sequence. My God. Uh, I I don't know why I, I never ever should forget that Howard Shore is an incredible composer because he composed one of my favorite film scores of all time, obviously. But it does seem to me like outside of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, it, it does seem like he does. I don't want to say struggle, but his scores don't often get appreciated as much as they should. And this is probably going to be another one of those where I think the score is really, really, really good. It has like this otherworldly feeling to it uh, and a sense of unease, but serene at the same time. And I just want to shout him out for that, because like I said, I just feel like he'll forever be, you know, known for this one film score. And it seems like everything else that he does will like just be on the back burner and be completely underappreciated. But it shouldn't be. Yeah, this score is really good and sounds different from other Cronenberg Howard Shore collaborations mm-hmm. like I feel like there's a particular sound in most of their the other movies that he scores for Cronenberg and this one feels very unique and different so I give him a lot of credit for not only creating a great score but something that feels very separate from their previous collaborations but yeah I really did enjoy the music yeah completely agree uh all right uh Josh any final points Um, You know, the only other thing that I was thinking about as something that I kind of missed from this movie is that as much as I do like the overall visual aesthetics to it, I do miss Cronenberg's Canada. (laughs) I miss those locations. I, I always felt like he always showed those Canadian cities in a really interesting way that felt like it almost felt like general broad cityscape, but also like just outside of the the norm i don't know it's this really weird way that he would always show cities that felt very unique to his filmography and i think they shot this movie in greece so it doesn't feel like toronto where he normally shoots his stuff and i i have to admit i was sort of missing that a little bit and and while this location does i think showcase the strangeness even further i think if it had been juxtaposed with a setting that actually felt more like a normal cityscape then that dichotomy would have felt even more pronounced to me actually so you know i still do like the look of this movie but i i miss cronenberg's toronto i have to admit yeah i mean he's definitely what maybe the most popular canadian filmmaker maybe so yeah yeah uh final thoughts from me great makeup work will definitely not be recognized by the Academy, but I really, yes. <laughs> really enjoyed some of the makeup work in this. I mean, Cronenberg. I mean, you mentioned before, like, the scene with the guy with all the ears. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, everything else was, like, sh- sewn shut. Love that. 
and there's just a lot of other bits in this too. I also think from a visual effects standpoint, uh, everything that was done in this movie was also really well uh, done for the budget that they had. Like we said before, it's not over the top. It's not a sci-fi film that screams, oh, visual spectacle necessarily. It's more stripped down and it's just the essentials uh, that are necessary to help convey the story. And I think they were all properly utilized in a way that uh, was very effective here. I do agree with that. I, I also do wish that we got more prosthetic work though because whenever sure. we do see like the cgi stuff that happens that does like undercut a lot of the i don't know like when when i see a cgi body getting cut up i don't have the visceral reaction that i have to like normal displays of body horror which cronenberg is an expert at so i understand why they had to do it but i it did undermine a little bit of my reaction to some of those sequences i'm gonna be honest like that, uh, like that woman that uh, Caprice meets, where she has the cuts all over her face. Yeah, yeah, like that looks really, really great. And then Caprice has some work done done on her, like after that scene as well. Oh yeah, there's, there's like people also like sticking knives in people's like shins that that looked like a practical effect. Like all that stuff was really great. But sometimes when you get to like some of the surgery stuff, and it's very clearly, you know, they're not cutting into people, obviously, but you can very clearly see it's a CGI effect, and that just was not as impactful to me. Uh, going back to Saul's character, I do have a thought here, which is the black cloak looks awesome. I love that he, you know, spends about 50% of this movie dressed up like a Jedi Master or a Sith Lord, whatever you want to read into it as. Uh, but the explanation for why he's dressed up like that is he says, I think, in dialogue at one point that he's cold. Did anyone else catch on any other explanation given? Because I was wondering if it had something to do with he finds it difficult to move, probably. And wearing something that is light and flowing like that allows for him to be able to be able to move. That, that was like my reading of it. But I don't know if that was ever explained. That would make a lot of sense. I also really like that we saw like what face mask as well, and he just pulled it down. I feel like that's a little like post pandemic. A lot of us are still probably going to be wearing masks in like twenty thirty years time. Yeah, he covers up his mouth a lot when he speaks too. Is it like? Mm -hmm. And that was weird to me because they say that you know there's no infection like in this world. So I'm wondering like what is like why is he doing that? There's just a lot of unanswered questions there. I feel like. Mm -hmm. Oh my god! When Vigo tells Kristen Stewart that he's not very good at the old sex. <laughs> I died laughing at that. Because <laughs> he says it so earnestly, like he's just like so truthful in that statement. And it's like kind of pathetic. But at the same time, you're like, oh, poor guy. And a very Cronenberg concept, too. Yep. Surgery is the new sex. Overall, I liked this movie. I wish that I loved it. And part of the reason why I like it is more so about the ideas of it and not so much even the final product, because I do think that the final product is a bit unfulfilling, but I really just enjoyed how this movie began. It started to lose my interest. It brought me back in the third act, but then it just ended in such a way that I walked out of this film feeling pretty mixed about it overall that it wasn't until I went to go write the review for it and I started realizing, nah, this movie is more thematically layered and asks so many interesting questions and it makes me want to explore more that I do end up leaning more on the positive side when all is said and done here so whether it's reverence for the filmmaker and maybe I'm grading on a curve I don't know but I think that there is enough 
that this movie is doing compared to other films out there that I'll give it a six out of 10 when all is said and done here. Amy, what about you? Yeah, I wish a narrative was tighter on this. I wish Batby maybe had an extra 20 to 30 minutes just to flesh out the film and especially the ending. But I can't take away from the world building and the, the themes that this film explores. So I'm also giving it a six out of 10. Josh? I, I am in agreement. <laughs> I think Cronenberg would like that it's 666. <laughs> yeah, I, I am going to land at a 6 out of 10. I, I have so much admiration for what has gone into crafting this story. I don't know if it all comes together, but at the same time, I'm also fascinated to watch it again. And I think that if I do and have a greater understanding of maybe what I'm getting into and what I'm looking out for, I think there is great potential for there to be more discovery here, actually. So my grade could go up. So right now it's imperfect, but I do appreciate so much about it. But I'm still completely fascinated by this work at the same time. Yeah, like I was saying earlier, uh, whether it's good, bad, or you're indifferent, it doesn't really matter. It's a new David Cronenberg film in 2022. The band's about to turn 80 years old. I mean, yeah, w- rejoice. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And he has teased that maybe something with Chris Stewart and Robert Pattinson. I would give everything to see that movie. Same. <laughs> All right. Well. There's only one Oscar uh, potential for this movie, I think, and it is probably for Best Original Organ. <laughs> I, I I cannot believe that that was a thing in this. Like, oh, yeah, uh, you're, you're apparently the front runner for Best Original Organ at the Inner Beauty Contest. <laughs> I just, oh, man, that, that was definitely designed to be funny, and I, I really appreciated that moment a lot. Yeah, that was nice, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think that there is maybe a subtle commentary on Cronenberg's view of awards and award shows with that, probably. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, yeah, exactly. Considering that we've already said that he probably injected a lot of himself into the character of Saul Tesner, I, I would not doubt it whatsoever. With that said, n- no. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, you can maybe flirt with the idea of makeup, but the Academy just has such an aversion to horror makeup to begin with. And I I don't know if it's they're really going to go for it. I would be surprised if it showed up on the shortlist, even. I feel bad for Cronenberg because, you know, a lot was made this year in particular that he's never won the Palm d'Or before. So. I, f- I do feel a little bad that, like, he's gotten this far in his career and he hasn't received that level of recognition. I mean, he probably he should have won for Crash back in 96. But in terms of the Oscars, I, I don't think he could. He-, he-, he couldn't care less, I'm sure. Yeah. And his movies just overall never really played to that. I think I think only two of his movies have even gotten Oscar nominations like overall. So like his filmography just normally does not go there and the Academy is changing somewhat, but I, I don't know if the reception to this movie is going to be like as strong to make it a serious contender in anything. Yeah. I think it's three of his films too, by the way, I think it's the fly because it won makeup. Yeah. History of violence, which I argue he should have been nominated for. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the Eastern Promises Vigo was nominated, yeah. yeah. I forget about Eastern Promises and that Vigo nomination. I think Vigo should have been nominated for History of Violence, too. Oh, yeah, I mean, that is the best performance he's given in a Cronenberg movie. Yeah, by far. And Maria Bello should have been nominated for that. Like, that, oh, I, I love that movie so much. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, that that's, that's really great. It's a battle between that and The Fly, for me, as my favorite. Yeah, yeah. Where, where does this rank for you in his filmography, would you say? Um... 
I would say probably like it, it's mid tier. Same. You know, yeah, it's yeah. not my favorite, but it's not near the bottom at all because I do respect so many of the ideas in it. They just don't all come together in a completely satisfying way. Do you agree, Emmy? I haven't actually seen that much of his filmography. It's quite a big blind spot for me. So after Crimes of the Future, I am definitely interested in checking out more of his stuff. Yeah, I would definitely recommend Videodrome, The Fly. I'm sure you've seen The Fly, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Then I would say I would say Videodrome, uh, Dead Ringers, and History of Violence. Those would be probably like my three recommendations. Dead Ringers is really good, too. That That's an excellent film. Yeah. Are there any others that you would recommend or? Uh, you know, Existence is really good, too. That was very misunderstood at the time of its release, and it got lost in the shuffle, unfortunately. But I know a lot of people have rediscovered and reevaluated it over the years. I agree with you. I think that one has actually much, much better than history has given it uh, credit for. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think especially after Inception came out, I think that's when a lot of people went back to rediscover that movie because it shares a lot of DNA with Inception. Yeah. All right. Amy, thank you very much for being here with us today. Tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Films with Amy. Josh Parham. You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me in Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For a $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily.